The Hayes you... vision, Maguire, it's free. Like, we have this aerial view of everything that's happening. I know, so but it's Hayes not like... It's not, like he, he knows he's free. not passing the ball to Rio Ferdinand, I, right? I, I he knows he's in front of into this. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. All right, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Republic of Ireland and Manchester United defender Aoife Mannion. How are you keeping, Aoife? Oh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'd say life is pretty good right now. Manchester United, top of the WSL, preparing for an FA Cup final at a sold-out Wembley just over a week, dreaming of a World Cup and, I don't know, maybe best of all, back playing 90 minutes of football. <laughs> it's very intense, I can tell you that. This back end of the season, this next month, is just so full on. Obviously, the FA Cup final with United in a couple of weeks. Um, I can tell you that a few months ago, I wouldn't have dreamt that it that things would have kind of popped up like this coming back from my ACL injury, but I'm definitely not complaining at the moment. Uh, no, there's nowhere else you'd rather be, I'd imagine. <laughs> Give us the backstory then to the injuries before we get into the good stuff that's happening right now, because, you know, I mentioned playing, was it the game against Arsenal was your first full 90 minutes in well over a year from an ACL. Like you had an ACL before that in 2019. You could probably, you know, count on one hand nearly the amount of 90 minutes of club football you've played over, what, three or four years at this stage? Would, th- would that be fair enough? Yeah, something like that. And as you say it out loud, it's kind of not until you sort of put it like that where I can kind of appreciate how um, how long the journey has been. So, yeah, I did, I did an ACL injury last January, so, or January, February 2022. And it's taken me about a year to get back. And then I managed to get my first call up with the Island squad that I'm sure you'll ask a few questions about. <laughs> and then also slowly breaking back into the United team. I'd signed uh, six months previous to, to getting injured. Um, and so things are starting to kind of shape up for me, hopefully at the right time of, of, of our season at United. Mm. And obviously it's also a really exciting time for Ireland. But definitely these last three years, um, if I'd been looking into a crystal ball a few years ago, I would never have dreamt kind of everything and what would have happened with the injuries, with recovery, with Ireland, and then obviously a bit with United as well. We're seeing such a, a spate of ACL injuries and Arsenal, yet another one, four of their uh, most important players all out at the same time. And it's obviously such a focus with the World Cup coming up as well. Uh, you're probably uh, very well positioned to sit and chat with players about what they're about to go through. When you look back to the first one in 2019, how big a struggle was that to to get yourself right, to get back playing football? Because usually we say nine to 12 months. It felt like that injury was, was a lot longer for you. Yeah, I wish I wasn't in a position of um, mm. experience or authority to give any opinion on ACLs. But unfortunately for myself, I can speak from experience about doing it twice. Uh, the first one was a really dramatic contact injury. And I actually did quite a few bits in my knee. And, and in the end, with, with COVID, the pandemic and, and everything sort of playing out like that, it took me about 15 months from when I did it. And then, of course, I came back not too long and did it again. And so, yeah, they have been really tough. And it's a little bit like doing a fitness test for the first time. You don't know how hard it's going to be. And then the second time round, probably at the start of the rehab, I was more worried because I knew a little bit of what was to come. But both of them were very, the rehabs were very different. I was much luckier, I would say, the second time. And I didn't think it was going to be like that. You think if you do an injury the second time round, 
um, potentially the rehab will be uh, more drawn out or, you know, you might not be as strong or, or things won't go as well. But for me, it's actually been the flip of that. So I've been sort of quite pleasantly surprised, I would say, by how I feel coming back this time mm. compared to last time. The the England and Arsenal defender, Leah Williamson, I think was incredibly honest as to just how devastated she was and how long it was going to take her to come to terms with her injury. The second time it happens to you, like with all the struggles you've gone through over a couple of years to build your body back up, to mentally get through that. What's that that evening like when you're maybe sitting in a hospital bed and a doctor comes in and says, it's happened again? Mm, Well, you can imagine really, obviously, what happens is that you go and get a scan and you might have a bit of an inkling from the physio doing tests, but you go and get a scan and I can tell you that time completely slows down while you're waiting for the doctor to call you to tell you the results of the scan. And so when the when the doctor calls you, I remember the first time around, because I've done a few bits in my knee, it was like a shopping list. But when I heard that acronym, when I heard those three letters, the ACL, everything else was irrelevant. And I was just in shock because I knew exactly what they meant. Um, and so, yeah, you, you're right. There's, there's a level of devastation. You're gutted um, because you know it's such a long and dramatic injury. Um, so, yeah, Leah Williamson has obviously done it really recently. She's the face of the Lionesses in England and in some ways the face of the WSL as well. Uh, so that's really, really sad for her. Knowing her personally, I know how resilient she is. But injuries like that will definitely test you. While there's obviously a lot of progress been made in the women's game. It's not the same in terms of the men's game, in terms of the money that you earn every week. And if a player in the Premier League picks up an ACL injury, you know, they're, at this stage, they're pretty much set up for life now. Like, you're what, probably 23 when you get that injury? You're at a stage where probably a lot of your friends are in college or coming to the end of college and they're thinking of going out into the real world and getting a real job. Is any party at that stage worried and contemplating football as a future? as a full-time footballer? For many people probably in, in our league over here, that that actually might be a consideration. Now, luckily for me, I was at a good team when I did it, so there was a, there was a good level of support. But unfortunately, like you said, there's a big difference between being a professional women's footballer and a professional men's footballer. And that level of support is, is, is obviously not the same. Now, some of us are very lucky. At the top end of the... Um, top flight of football in England, you can be very lucky. So me at United, Leah Williamson at Arsenal, she'll be looked after, no bother at all. But one league below or potentially with teams that are potentially struggling in the league, that support can set a level of doubt in your mind. You know, will I come back? Am I I going to be able to um, have some level of earning potential? These are the thoughts that people might think about. So definitely there's a long way to go in terms of support uh, around players who get injured um, in women's football. And a lot of research, like I'm sure because of your experience, you have such interest in it. You know, we've covered it on the Koi Gig podcast. They had. Uh, Professor Joanne Parsons on talking about the research she's doing into just why women are systemically more susceptible to getting these injuries. It's like it feels like every single week at this stage that there's another one, and it feels like something needs to be done quickly. That there, there probably is no, but there's no right answer to this. But whether it's the load, whether it's the way the games are lined up, that it can't go on at this rate. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There definitely seems to be such a higher rate 
of women's footballers doing an ACL injury compared to men. I've seen a statistic somewhere that it's six times more likely, which is obviously really harrowing. Mm. Um, it's not really something that I want to think about too much, having been on the other side of two already. And I think that sometimes what we have to remember is that professional men's players have been playing every day since probably they were about, you know, three, four, five, six years old at academies. That's only really just started to become the case in women's football, in England especially. And so with the increased schedule that we're getting these days, if you look at the Chelsea women's team, I think they've got something like five games within the next 15, 20 days which really, in terms of people's historic load that they're used to, we've not had that same level of a repeated exposure to football mm. since we were six years old. Most of us at the moment have probably only been professional for about five to seven years. Whereas if you see a, a male footballer at age 27, you can probably guarantee that they've probably been professional since they were well, pl playing a professional routine maybe since they were 14, 15. So there's a big difference in what our bodies are used to as well. Uh, I feel like I'm bringing up an awful lot of bad memories at a really good time in yeah. your career when you're over. You're like, I'm over all that. I'm trying to leave that in the past. I'm thinking about all the good stuff that's going to come over the next few months. Like you talk about players starting out at three, four years of age. How did you get so good? What, what's, what's the background that made you so good that at, at, at a young age, you took an interest in football, you stuck with it, all the different obstacles that might come your way? What's, what's the background? Well, I appreciate the topic switch will we'll bring a bit of a lighter note now. <laughs> uh, I think I was just mad for football. You know, there's pictures of me when I'm one or two years old with a football bigger than the size of my head. Um, and I just always played it. I played it at school and then I started playing for a team and I was just so competitive and I used to just get so upset when I lost. I was really, really um, emotional and competitive about winning. For me, that joy of being on the edge of a of, of winning or a defeat, that's where, that's for me, was where life was. I just found it so exciting. And so I sort of continued with that and, you know, one, two, skip a few. <laughs> Here we are today doing the interview. It just never felt like an option not to do it. And I just really, really loved it. And I got lucky enough to be playing at a time where it just started to turn professional. And while you were obviously very talented from a young age and you represented England at a lot of the underage levels. Like the Irish connection is incredibly strong. You shared that photo on Twitter recently of you playing at Crow Park in what, 2007? Uh, yourself and Jack Grealish on the same team. Uh, you played a bit of Gaelic as well? Yeah, played loads of Gaelic. And I've said before that I probably prefer the Gaelic to the football. I just couldn't make a career out of Gaelic. So if I wasn't playing football now, I would still be playing Gaelic. I remember a few years ago when I was a sort of just becoming a professional player, I did a bit of Gaelic. I did a bit of a game the day before I had to have a, a game of football. And I remember being so tired and thought, I can't, you know, I can't really do this again. And also if I got injured, but I would absolutely love to be able to still do Gaelic um, yeah you've mentioned playing at half time and I think it was the Leinster Leinster final back in 2007 went into 2006 as well it's a, it's a big thing there's a big Irish community in Birmingham where I grew up and there's loads of us that, that, that were at it my parents are obviously Irish they moved over um, something like 30, 30 odd years ago. And so those Irish roots mean a lot to me. Obviously, my accent betrays me. I was born in England, raised over here. 
Um, but there is nothing like putting on that that shirt and, and representing representing Ireland. I can I can tell you that. And um, when you were growing up in Birmingham, with that strong Irish connection, would you have, would you have been in the Irish Centre on a regular basis? Was it something that was very much to the forefront of your life? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, that's kind of closed down now. I think there was an Irish centre in Digba, um, but there's loads of little hubs, loads of little places. So the the Gaelic team that that I'm attached to called uh, Sean McDermott's. There's a particular kind of pub that's the hub of, of everything called Casey Joe's. Um, so there's loads of little things like that where, you know, still to this day, when I go back to back to Solihull, back to Birmingham, you know, those are the places that I'll go, that I'll be, you know, um, seeing everyone that's connected to it, connected to Irish roots as well. You spent a lot of time in Ireland as a kid. I was uh, reading a profile in the Mayo News uh, talking about... Uh, around Kilmaine and everybody talking about the remembering the little English girl who's come over every summer <laughs> I, I've done well to leave the mayo I'm from Ballyhonas so I'm a Mayo man so I've done well to get this far without mentioning it uh, you're half Mayo half Galway but you're very much Mayo yeah, so, yeah, I, I kind of spent the biggest portion of my summers in Mayo. Still did a bit with uh, my grandparents in Galway on, on my dad's side. But for whatever reason, I think it's that it's that search for, for Sam as well every year, Mayo for Sam. That kind of journey, going to Crow Park, going to the finals, um, I've obviously been following them. That kind of has hit hard as well. So for whatever reason, I do feel... It does hit hard, doesn't it? Does hit yeah. hard. <laughs> slightly more um slightly more connected and, and then my uncle played for Mayo. So there's a big there's a big piece around that. Pat Kelly, he played for Mayo. He he was like my idol growing up. Um So Pat was so, in Pat was in and around, was it the old six sort of squad that sort of time? Yeah, with like kind of Mortimer, like the back end of Kieran McDonald, like people like that. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of awe around him and him being a role model. And then obviously at that time, he would have still been living at my nan's house. And that was where I was going in the summer. So, um, so I, obviously I would be a lot, spending a lot of time around him. And sometimes when I could drag him out to the garden, he'd entertain me with like the 1v1 um, football ball and playing against each other and also my, my other uncle Joseph so yeah there's a real connection there actually he was Pat was actually over in um, Birmingham at the weekend with his two kids and I just I'm so grateful for all those summers playing with him and um, I gave him what I gave him a, a jersey from from the US game that we oh, recently brilliant. played and it used to be him giving me his Mayo jersey so it's nice to sort of go 360 and be able to do it you know do it the other way a little bit so um, yeah I've really really am um, pleased with it all I, I, I'm sure you've got a sense from him then of just how excited probably all the family are in Ireland at the possibility of you going representing at a World Cup yeah I, I mean like I probably didn't realise so much when I decided that it was something I really wanted to do just how much it would mean to everyone just how much it would mean to my family and probably that combined with women's football taking off as well and obviously the Irish team before I'd um, started being involved had started to do so well and qualified for the World Cup just seems to be a melting pot of excitement um, and so you can imagine that, you know, there's a few games coming up in Tala in June 
And you, you can just imagine how excited my family are at the idea of going there and potentially my nans being able to go and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a really, really exciting time and everyone is just so buzzing, you know, watching it on the television when I, when we were just away in, in the US. And I just hope, you know, for a good few years anyway, that can that can continue. I don't know if you saw that Joe Biden was in Mayo last week and he was in Balnand, it was about 30,000 people and he gave it the big Mayo for Sam at the end and we feel that maybe this is the thing that might inspire them uh, when you get the goal at the World Cup finals you get to come back to Mayo then stand in front of everybody and give it that big Mayo for Sam moment yeah. <laughs> we'll promise you that now yeah. no if, pressure if we... <laughs> oh like I just get overwhelmed even thinking about things like that um, goodness yeah yeah I don't know what would be better winning a, being involved with a team that won the World Cup or actually Mayo finally um That's finally winning the final there at Croker. There we go. That is the level of commitment we want. Uh, talk to us about getting involved with Ireland then because very quickly after the game against Scotland and the qualification, word started to go around that you know, Vera Powell would be looking far and wide and that there were a lot of players, second generation players from around the world who were interested and in, you know, the squad that has got Vera Powell there is a very established squad and was you know, probably 30 players at different stages. It's only a uh, 23-woman squad to start with. When did the conversation start with Vera Powell? And when did you decide? Because you'd been involved, you had been called up to the England senior squad before your injury. So it was quite close to you being an England international. When did the decision happen for you? And how did that develop then with, with Vera Powell? Well, a few days before I got injured, so just at the end of January 2022, I got in touch with Kate McCabe and I just started to send a few messages about it. And also one of the other girls, Lucy Quinn. And then literally a few days later, I did my knee. So everything was just on hold then for a few months. And then I happened to bump into Vera in the summer last year. So in May, bumped into her at the in the Women's Champions League final in over in Italy, so random. And I literally turned around and I had a drink in my hand and then nearly spilled it over her. <laughs> And she said, oh, hi, Aoife. And I said there and then to her, she said, oh, would you ever be interested? I said, I want to play for Ireland. Um, and I was still had a bit of a limp on me at the time. I just had my 12 weeks clearance from the surgeon, from a surgery. So she was probably thinking, you don't look like someone who would be anywhere near representing Ireland. So you're limping around the place with a beer in hand for your first meeting with the Ireland manager. No, no, you've added you've added two and two together there, and you've got ten, but something like that. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I did bump into her and I told her that I wanted to play for Ireland, and then from there, it took a while for the clearance to come through. Obviously, I'd already had the passport mm. for fifteen odd years. Um, I don't know how long I'd had it before I had an English England passport, and literally a couple of I don't maybe a couple of weeks or something before that that camp that I got called into, I got the announcement or I got found out that I'd actually got clearance to go um, and then the next obviously problem was to see if I got picked and then and then I did get picked but I can definitely appreciate how close it was to Ireland doing so well and that team that had got Ireland to that point and had got, got Ireland qualified for the first time that ever ever mm. in the history and still on camp since you know, I asked the girls about that and that night when they qualified and it just gives me goosebumps to even even hear about it. And I, I cannot imagine what it would have been been like to be involved in that. And they'll probably never have a night um, that will surpass that in their whole career. So um, to be able to be 
be maybe involved with that going forward is really exciting but it has been in the pipeline for well right. over a year because the FAI's scouting system is is generally very good in terms of identifying second generation and eligible players from from all over the world so the fact that you've such a strong Irish connection was was this some were you on their radar or had you know when you were 15 16 when you were breaking through when you were on uh WSL teams of the year when you were at Birmingham and things like that would you would there have been conversations going on in the background or was this something actually you just decided 2022 this is the route I want to go I can't remember if I'd spoken to Vera before I reached out to Katie I, I don't think I had like this time round when I when I reached out that was sort of me and, and my feeling but I had been contacted in the past but it was so many years ago when you've mentioned that I grew up obviously in the England youth teams. That was just the routine and what I was going through. And that was where all my friends are from um, and things like that. So inertia and momentum just kept things going. Then with the injuries, it gave time for pause and just a moment to sort of really think about how I wanted to spend and spend the next few years and how I wanted my usefulness, whether there would be any usefulness after coming back from the injury. Um, how, how I would like to spend that and I just decided no matter what happens when I came back that was who I wanted to, to declare for and I didn't want to wait until I came back because I didn't want anyone to say oh I'd waited to see how I sort of came back and if I was great then I was just gonna you know stay poor and then actually it would be the kind of me thinking oh well I'll just well, you know what's the next best thing I wanted it to be clear that it was a vision I had and as soon as I came back, no matter whether I was good, bad or indifferent, it was going to be an island that I wanted to represent. And Vera Powell brought you in at the first available opportunity. You make your debut against China in February. When you're coming into the camp, then you're naturally going to be nervous anyways coming into a, a new camp. But that idea that they have qualified with this squad and Vera Powell is well within her rights to go and look at whoever she wants to because her job is to make Ireland as strong as possible. Was that in your mind when you came into the camp of you know I'm here I'm deadly serious about being here you've done the job to get us but you know I, I, I want to play yeah definitely there were so many things I was thinking about not least because even though I knew some girls I didn't know I didn't know loads so there was that that sort of anticipation around meeting new people and then also that appreciation for how well the, the team had done and how how sort of gelled and together the team already are that it's not a team that's crying out for new faces and so I definitely felt a sense of pressure and responsibility to really make good on the opportunity to be able to be involved and to be honest I felt the most pressure actually when I found out that I was going to start for the China game because that was when I thought I've come into a camp I'm a fresh face and I've been given the opportunity to put the shirt on and to line out I need to give it absolutely everything so that people who are looking on looking on from the side say, oh, she's someone that's serious and she's someone that no matter what we might think about her, she's going to give everything on the pitch. Um, and that will, for as long as I'm for as long as I'm useful to, to to the island national team, that is going to be my sort of agenda. And I just hope that that can be that can be um, appreciated and that can be wanted. Uh, Vera Powell has been very open on how difficult a decision it is going to be when she has to make that final call on the 23 and already I think having sleepless nights about making those phone calls to the players that don't make it. How much of you is allowing yourself to think about what might happen? So you mentioned, you know, all the family being able to go to Tala for those final friendlies. 
but even getting into the mindset of July potentially flying to Brisbane the first match against Australia the biggest game in the history of the Women's World Cup are you allowing yourself to think about that? No, I'm definitely not allowing myself to think that far. To be honest, at the moment, I'm not even thinking one week ahead. Everything is so intense. I've described it as wearing like my Ireland hat on when I'm going away with Ireland and then I sort of put back on the club hat and the United hat um, when I'm back here in Manchester. The next step really is obviously Tala in June and, and it really is. What's the next thing? Hoping that I'm involved, um, but appreciating how difficult and not not like there's there's no part of me that would want to have to make the decisions that our manager Vera has to make. Um, she's been incredibly um, honest and forthcoming with how difficult those decisions are going to be. She's described it as kind of making and breaking dreams, and so that far down the line is not something at this point I'm really allowing myself to think about. Um, it's just day by day and step by step. Uh- and it's easy for you to stay focused week on week, game on game, because all of the games over the next few weeks are going to be so important. Uh, Manchester United currently top of the WSL, three points clear of Manchester City, four clear of Chelsea, but Chelsea do have two games in hand. You're playing Tottenham at the weekend. It, this position that United find themselves in and the you know taking on a, you know, Arsenal are down at fourth, they're minutes away from getting into a, a Champions League final. The depth that's at that top of the WSL at the moment is a real sense of quality is there any surprise that you're in that position so quickly right now if someone had said to us at the start of the season right with three league games left to go you're going to be in an FA Cup final and you're going to be in in a drive and seat in a really good position in the league to to kind of challenge for things and to potentially make Champions League you know we would have we would have ripped we would have ripped the hand off for it I can only say that each game is so, so intense. You know, there aren't many of us that have been involved in in league campaigns that are really going down to the wire. And we played Villa last Friday, I think it was, and we beat them 3-2 in the dying minutes of extra time. And I was saying to the girls after, I aged about 10 years in 10 minutes. I cannot do that every week. But for the meantime, we're having an absolute ball. We're taking it day by day by day, literally taking it day by day and just thinking, right, who's our opponent? opponent this weekend obviously this weekend it's Spurs what do we have to do to to give ourselves a chance of getting the three points and what are they going to do that we're going to need to contain and I can sort of feel my heart beating even just thinking about it it is really really intense but this is what the fans demand of us there are no fans um, in England quite like the United fans they are passionate and they are they're really demanded and so we need to deliver and that's what we feel and that's what's pushing us forward. The speed at which the standards are rising and the quality of players that are in the league, it probably does make it very difficult for you when you're coming back as well because you know you get injured, you think, all right, I, I want to get back to where I was, but actually you need to get back to better than where you were when you look at the quality that's in that Manchester United squad at the moment and you know the amount of players that were part of that England team that won the European Championship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even in the space of a year, the league has progressed on and I've done this injury twice. So you can imagine how much development has happened within those two years. Um, so, yeah, just getting back to where, where I was is, is simply not good enough, really. Um, so there's a level of pressure that comes with that. But anyone involved in, in, in football 
in the professional environment knows that this is sort of part and parcel of what it is. And I think one thing that's special about United is obviously there's only 11 people that can go on the pitch. We're all acutely aware of that. But we have a squad of something like 21 or 22. And every one of those players, whether they play 90 minutes every game or whether they've not been on the pitch in a while, makes a massive, massive um, value to the team. And sometimes that can be overlooked, probably looking on from the side or when we just... You know, as fans, we might just watch games. The personalities, the melting part of personalities on our team, it's so special. And the training is such high intensity that by the time we get to the weekend, very, very rarely would we probably play in a game where you think, okay, the demands of that game has surpassed what we would what we would expect within the training training week. Yeah. Uh, listen, the very best of luck over the next couple of weeks. How exciting. Like the possibility of winning a double as a Manchester United player. <laughs> <laughs> wow doesn't get much better than that uh, before, no, we've, no, no. before we've one final Mayo for Sam uh, tell us about that Warwickshire Schools development squad then where did you play where did Jack Grealish play so I think maybe we were both sitting we both played centre I can't really remember it. so basically we played for rival local clubs and then we both got sort of drafted in for our county, which is obviously Warwickshire. Um, and I think when we played over at the halftime of the Leinster final, he would have been on one team and I would have been on the other. Okay. But it's literally like two times four minutes because it's it's at halftime. So if I'm being honest, I can't even remember if I touched the ball. Well, but no, listen, what you can do is, home. because there'll be no video, you can make up whatever you want around this. Yeah. You skinned Jack really. She wasn't up to it. You know, decided yeah, actually exactly. game games wasn't tough enough and he had to move on to something else. And what, what, exactly. what, happened, what happened to him? Exactly. Who knows? No, I need I need to consult you before I give answers in the Exactly. Go, go with that one anymore. We'll edit it all in and that'll just be the story forevermore. And if he wants to correct <laughs> it, let him come on and correct it. Uh, Eva, um, brilliant to talk to you. Uh, hopefully we get a chance to talk to you as well over the next few weeks uh, when you've got some medals in your back pocket and you're preparing for that trip to Australia as well. Uh, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland Women's National Football Team This is News Talk